Welcome to the Smallholder Food Business Development Institute podcast, episode 10. Welcome to the Smallholder Food Business Development Institute podcast, where we are building profitable food businesses, one product, one process, one thought at a time. Now here's your host, Dr. Michelle Fannensteel. Welcome back. I'm so happy that you're here. And we are on episode 10 of the podcast. Can you believe it? We've been doing this for 10 weeks together. I'm amazed. Thank you all for all your amazing comments. And I would love it if you went and left this a five-star review on your favorite podcasting app that makes so much difference. I can't even tell you. So I'm super excited to be coming to you today. I've actually been teaching all week in West Virginia. I've been teaching meat and poultry HACCP, which is super fun. Uh, and I'm recording this as I am in the middle of my travels and super excited just to sit down and talk to you all. This is a super important podcast, and it is one of the things that my clients worry about the most. Because here's what happens. Your day is going along swimmingly. And then you get a notification. It can be from your inspector, from your lab, from your QA person. And you read the notification. You have the conversation. You read the email. And here's what follows next. Your stomach clenches. You start breathing faster. And you start sweating. Your body is going into full flight or fight mode because you, my friend, are in a recall. Many of you can probably feel that terror right now as I talk about it. And there is just where I want you to stop. So many of my clients will just start rushing into action and they just end up creating confusion. It's totally understandable and it's totally human to want to run in and fix it all because you feel like the world is going to end if you don't. But I'm here to tell you that you can do it differently. There are actually two skills that you need to learn to come through a recall. A recall does not have to drive you around the bend because today, my friends, we are going to talk about how to manage your mind in a recall so you can manage the recall successfully. Because that's the fear, right? The fear is, is that you're going to lose everything, that it's all going to go to hell in a handbasket. Most people think that a recall is like a trauma room with everyone running around and shouting directions, being crazy. But like real emergencies in an emergency room are not like those on TV. Most of the time, it's like a lot quieter. And what's really hard to see is that the trauma team is acting on how they've trained their minds to work. I mean, that's why we train, right? They aren't just doing random stuff to see what happens, which is what I totally see in my clients when they start doing recalls. Is a recall an emergency? Well, of course, yes. Does it mean you have to drop everything and panic and do all the things? No. So let's learn how to manage a recall. First, I want to tell you that when you get that notification, you are going to get an adrenaline rush. It's totally human and it totally happens. But you go into that panic mode 
not actually because of the notification, but because of your thoughts about the notification. It's your thoughts about what is going to happen that is calling, causing those feelings of panic. And we've talked about this before. It's those thoughts of financial ruin, of despair, and all of these thoughts that are swimming around and they are all products of your primitive mind. It's the part of your mind that tells you everything is going wrong and that you're never going to go out into the world and risk getting hurt. It's your brain really trying to do its best to protect you, but it's really, in this case, not serving you at all. Your primitive brain isn't protecting you. It is not helping right now. And you need your prefrontal cortex to take over. And that takes work, my friends. It takes work that we are going to start right now. But it really isn't as easy as saying, well, if you would just change your thoughts and stop thinking that everything's going to be ruined, you, that's not how it works. You actually have to think that thought. You have to think that thought and feel that feeling of panic and sit with it. And as a matter of fact, I'd, I'd recommend practicing sitting with the panic because it will teach you that that panic, real as it feels, is just a feeling. Feelings are not facts. Feelings are vibrations or sensations in our body. That's it. They're not caused by your circumstances. Feelings are caused by your thoughts all the time. Good feelings, bad feelings, they all come from thoughts. And I promise those feelings, they're vibrations in your body that you can learn to live with. If you sit with your panic and if you invite it in actually and become more comfortable with being uncomfortable, you will change the whole course of your recall and the whole course of how you deal with any situation. Because, uh, my friends, you will actually stop panicking and you'll start thinking other thoughts that will create other feelings and other actions that are actually going to get you out of this morass. You can choose other thoughts around your recall once your prefrontal cortex is in charge. You can think thoughts like, I can handle this, we've prepared for this, or we will survive this. These are much more powerful thoughts that lead to feelings maybe around competence and power. And then from that competence and power, you can do so very much more. From competence and power or whatever other positive emotion you've generated, to create action, you can go through and do all the steps of the recall. And that's the first thing that we're going to do, is you're going to decide if this is a recall event. You have to start there, but it's entirely possible and has happened that after going through everything that I'm going to tell you, okay, and, and working with your regulators, you might find out you don't actually have anything to recall. And so deciding at to start the process of the recall doesn't actually always end up in a recall, okay? So now you know, by now, I hope, that usually at the end of my podcast, you get a really good download, and today is no different. You'll hear at the end of the show how to go and get your own USDA or FDA compliant recall plan, okay? But those recall plans are not really going to help you if your brain isn't in a place that it can think, okay? So let's work on putting your brain in a place where it can think. And then 
pull out the recall planning. Okay. So think first, act second. This is the way we always do things. And here's how I have my clients do recall planning. So first thing, when something happens, they call me and we start talking through the decision to recall or not. Then I, I basically talk them through getting to a place where they know they can handle the recall. From there, it's really simply a matter of following the standard operating procedure and documenting what you did. Then the first thing that you're going to do, okay, is to open up your corrective action record template and make a new corrective action record, okay, because we have to document everything. Next, you're going to pull out your recall plan and pull the recall team together. Now, hopefully you have pre-documented who's in your recall team, but let's go through who should be on your recall team. It should be anyone who's going to have the presence of mind to help you make good decisions. In small shops, it's usually the owner and their most trusted employee. I also recommend having someone from sales because if you're going to have to call your clients, it is likely that your salesperson is going to want to be involved. They really like being part of that relationship. Next, your CFO is always a super valuable addition because recalls, they cost money and your CFO really needs to see how that money gets spent up front. And I'd just like to know, let you know, I'm happy to be on your recall team as well. You can send me an email to michelle at dirigofoodsafety.com and I always answer fast. I mean, really almost always. Okay. That email does go directly to me. I don't have anybody screening my emails. All right. And if you need to get in touch with me as an emergency, I'm super easy to find. <laughs> okay. I also recommend a lawyer and, and really not just any lawyer, a lawyer who understands food law and how to talk to your regulators. And I have a couple that I routinely recommend. And if you call me, we'll get in touch with one of those lawyers to be on the recall team. Then as a team, you need to start executing the following tasks, okay? And the first thing that you're going to do is you're going to create an electronic folder, probably shared, but not shared to every Tom, Dick, and Harry in your company, where you're going to document all of your recall information, all right? And I want you to create the following files in um where this is, we mostly do this in Microsoft, in like in Word or Google Docs or in your word processing software, okay? You're going to have one document that's got all of your product information that you're going to be able to send people to be able to understand what's being recalled. You're going to have one document that's your health hazard assessment. You're going to have one document that's your letter to the people that you have sold stuff too. They're called your consignees. And you have to write them, you have to write them a letter and notify them. So keep one kind of clean copy and paste, pasteable letter in a Word document. Okay. And then finally, keep a copy of your regulatory authority notification on your letterhead in this file folder. Next, I want you to take whatever you use for spreadsheeting, Microsoft Excel, Google Sheets, or any of the other software that's out there, and you got to create a recall accounting spreadsheet. This is where we're going to keep track of what lots are being recalled from whom and all that good sort of stuff. All right. Next, we're going to assemble the product information. This is things like product name, 
description of the product and its intended use. Sometimes that's why you're recalling. If the product is perishable, you have to include either the expiration date or the expected shelf life. Indicate the kind of packaging so people can understand um, what they're looking at. And you need to have um, PDFs or pictures or something of all the labels, all the product labeling, the individual package label, and the case label. Normally, when you are assembling this, you have uh, you have this in electronic document format and like you kind of create a PDF or whatever with the pictures and that has to get sent off to the uh, your your regulatory authority when you notify them of the recall. Okay, so now we've done that. So that's the first kind of document that you're going to create in that folder. And the next document that we have is the health hazard assessment. And you as the food safety team have to put on your thinking caps and really think about what the health hazards are. You have to know what the pathogen or the physical or chemical hazard, like what it does out there and what effect that foodborne illness has on people. So you're going to ask yourself the following questions and amongst the team determine the following information. Well, what information is available to determine the health hazard? And a lot of time this comes from me as the subject matter expert, okay? So if you have a salmonella recall for some reason or another, I can give you reams of information off the top of my head around salmonella, okay? You have to include information about the particular hazard as you determine what you're doing about the recall. You have to figure out, have any diseases or injuries already occurred from the use of the product? And you have to be super vigilant about doing this, and you really need to tell yourself the truth. Because if somebody has been harmed by your product, you have to know, and it's better if you know before your regulatory authorities do, okay? What's the hazard to various segments of the population? So now first there's the people who use your, use your food or eat your food or whatever. Um, who are they? Are they the children? Are they the elderly? Are there immunocompromised individuals uh, that might be using your product? This all really feeds into the health hazard assessment. And of those people, who's the greatest risk? You know, we had that big Kratom recall earlier this year and in my health hazard assessment working with a client, the greatest risk for the users were the users who were already immunocompromised or health compromised in some way because of how they were using and why they were using the product. So, but then how risky is that health hazard to that population? Like what is it actually going to do to them? How sick is it going to make them? And then once you determine that, you're like, wow, this is something that's going to make my pop like my target population super, super sick or maybe already has. That gives you a lot of impetus behind whether or not to make the decision to, to go through with the recall. So then what you need to do once you've determined all of that about your population is take a look at your own company. Was this a hazard that was identified in your hazard analysis. So whether you're FDA plan, you did a hazard analysis for your preventive controls plan, or your USDA plan and you did your hazard analysis as part of your HACCP planning. Did you find this hazard as reasonably likely to occur? Because it is now, <laughs> okay? Think about the short-term consequences of the recall, the short-term consequences to the business, to your consumers, 
all of that sort of thing. Short-term consequences, medium-term consequences, and long-term consequences. Okay, that's your health hazard assessment. Hit save lots and lots and lots while you're writing all of that out. Open up your spreadsheet and filling, fill in the following information. But I want you to keep a broad mind. There are lots of different ways to organize this information. And as many recalls as I have run, I feel like I organize the spreadsheets differently depending on how clients do, how they do lotting, what's being recalled, uh, and how my clients think. So really, there's no hard and fast rule about how you do this, okay? But we have to somehow figure out the volume of recalled products and then we have to delineate that by when they were produced, how, when they were distributed, how much was produced and distributed, how much you might still have in your facility and have now on QA hold versus how much is out at your distributors, okay? And you have to, by lot number, by item number, you have to indicate how things are being quarantined. They're being quarantined in a separate facility uh, under QA holds and nobody can get to them, that sort of thing, okay? You have to be able to uh, communicate your the volume recalled by, by any way a consumer might identify it. Brand names, product names, packaging, okay? You're going to want to include photos of your label and, and, and package how many cases you created and what those case codes were if you use them, how many count per case, and any other identifying information, okay, that you can put in that spreadsheet to make sure that your math adds up. Now, you're going to have after this some determination of how much product you have, okay, and then you need to know how much is out there in the universe. And how much is out there in the universe kind of is a two-step process. Is it at your wholesalers, at your distributors, at repackaging? Is it still in kind of the wholesale food stream? Okay. Or has it made it all the way out to retail? Okay. Via internet or catalog customers, or it's at, um, it's, it's already on the shelves at a supermarket. You really need to understand where that product might be. You must understand whether or not you sold this product to the federal government or if it went overseas because that opens up another whole kind of cabinet of worms that we have to deal with in a recall, okay? You have to figure out where all the products like went geographically because your recall coordinator at the federal level has to notify people in other districts to be on alert for the recall. Ask yourself, is the product part of the school lunch program? If it is, you have a whole set of other recall things that you have to do. If you are part of a Department of Defense prime vendor program, you probably have a prime vendor con contact you must, you must uh, get in touch with. And then if you have internet or catalog sales, I really hope you have a good customer management system because you're going to have to notify everybody who bought that product how to return or destroy that product or get a refund. And the only way I know how to do that is through your, your, your uh, CRM system. All right. And then once you've figured out all of that, you got to ask yourself, does, does the math add up? Can you account for how much you produced, how much you shipped, how much got returned, 
how much got destroyed, or how much is determined to be like consumed and irretrievable. There are a lot of times where we come through this math analysis and we're like, well, it's a perishable product and it happened three months ago and people don't freeze this product, so there's probably nothing out there to recall. That happens more often than you would think. If there is no product out in the marketplace to recall, the federal government does not make you recall it. Okay, so just keep that in mind. Just, you know, if you if you determine that that all of the product has probably been consumed and there's nothing to recall, then my friends, there's like nothing to recall. Okay. So that's that's the 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 kind of first general sets of of thinking and information that you have to do. Okay. Next, armed with all of that information, you have to do the following. You have to create a whole list of all your ship to and bill to customers that includes a whole set of information, okay? Often all of this information is then reported to the FDA, okay? And it's the name of the person you sold to and billed to, their address, generally the physical address if you can get it, contact name and contact phone number, and whether or not they're federal, um, it's part of a federal contract or a school lunch program, okay? If you are bringing product back into your facility or, or like back under your control, you're saying send the product back to me, it must be returned to an offsite location, okay, and destroyed in conjunction with your regulatory authority. So if you're USDA, they generally throw like blue ink on it. Um, the FDA doesn't have blue ink. You can use blue ink. Sometimes you pour bleach on it, but you take pictures and you make it inedible um, and your regulatory authority is either going to want to watch you or you're going to have to video record it on your phone, okay? Any affected products cannot be reconditioned. Okay. Now you take all of that info of who you sold what to. Okay. And now you got to tell them about the recall. You must make sure that they acknowledge receipt of the information and send you back a confirmation. So now everybody does this over email now, right? When I, when I was first writing this, they actually made us fax things. It was kind of strange. But they have to send back information that they've received notification of the recall. And as part of that notification, so this is the letter that you're going to write, you have to tell them what to do with the product. So your letter is going to read something like, dear sir or ma'am, or if you want to in in input the name, that's fine. Out of an abundance of caution... <laughs> you know, our firm is recalling the following items. And then you list the items by brand name, usually with lot numbers, and then any other identifying information. Once you have all of that down, you say all items should be just thrown out or returned for a refund, kind of depending on what you are trying to do. If you have any questions about this recall, please contact and put in a recall team member's name. Please acknowledge receipt of this communication by hitting the reply button and sending a confirmatory note back to us. Thank you so much for your help. And then sign your name. Okay. So that's notifying everybody who bought your stuff about the recall. If your stuff has reached the public and is not on store shelves and you don't know who actually, you know who you distributed it to, but you don't know who they sold it to, then you have to notify the public about the recall. Okay. And don't shortcut this. 
put it on social media, put it on your website. If you do your recall well and you don't hide it on your website, nobody's going to, this happens. We have recalls every single day and it's going to be fine because we've managed our mind to understand that we can live through a recall. Now, as the recall gets going, you're going to start getting product back if that's what you've decided to do. You're going to be getting information from people and you have to pull out that spreadsheet and make sure you can keep track of anything. You're going to notify your inspection authorities. Usually, we notify them daily in the first part of the recall and then less often as time goes by. Stay in touch with your regulatory authority because they are going to want to hear from you. And if they don't hear from you, they're going to assume something's going wrong in this process. Your recall team is going to meet probably daily for most of the recall. Make sure you have your PR statements locked down. Be honest. There's nothing I can do to help you if you decide to lie your way through a recall. Okay? So be honest with your customers, be honest with your regulators, and most of all, be honest with yourself. If you stay calm, I promise you can do this. It will take work, but you can come through a recall and actually be a stronger company than before. All right, so now I promised you some goodies, and I want you to go to www.sfbdi.com slash podcast 10 and download a recall plan. I have ones up there for USDA and for FDA producers. Download it. Do the mock recall that's written at the end. Okay, make up a scenario and figure, not, figure out whether or not you can recall everything within four hours. Because that, my friends, is the benchmark, is going out and finding everything that's been recalled within a four-hour window. It can totally be done. That's how you survive a recall. You think first, you act second, and you know that we've got your back if you need us. All these recall plans are free because I really don't think that a small business should suffer for lack of being able to do recall planning. As always, send us questions. Thank you so much for listening, and you guys have a great week. Hey there. If you like what we talk about on this podcast, you just have to join us over at The Power Group. We take all this material and we study it, and then we take it to the next level and we apply it. Join us by going to sfbdi dot com slash power group. That's sfbdi.com slash power group. You've been listening to Dr. Michelle Fannin Steele on the Smallholder Food Business Development Institute podcast. We hope you loved the show. For more information and show notes, please find us at sfbdi.com. Thanks for listening.